Your reality is spiritual. His truth is His truth. And if we can align with God's reality, we will finally be living by reality. You know, I just feel this. Lord, we just uh, we also pray for parents this morning. <laughs> and I ask a special blessing on them that um, you would reinfuse with your spirit, your wisdom, your life, your love, um, so that we are loving your kids the way you love your kids. In the name of Jesus. It was a hard parent morning for me. Jonah, my son, is in the, uh, the hockey playoffs. And um, just before the service started, his game ended. And they went all the way to the third period, 3-3, and went into shootouts. And then they lost in shootouts. So I'm sure their little hearts are breaking. And, and, uh, but their kids are amazing. They actually handle the hard stuff and the losses, I think, most of the time better than I do. I'm, like, devastated, and they still have little smiles on their faces. So they're great like that. But um, I've been actually going to start with a joke, and it's been one of those kinds of weeks where someone sent this to me in email, and um, I honestly cannot remember who sent it. So if you want to reveal yourself, you can or not. But I'll, I'll just read this. this real quick. And it does, in a, in a strange way, it relates to the new series we're headed into. It says, A minister decided that a visual demonstration would add emphasis to his Sunday sermon. Four worms were placed into four separate jars. The first, somebody heard this already. <laughs> I'm already hearing laughs. The first worm was put into a can- container of alcohol. The second worm was put into a container of cigarette smoke. The third worm was put into a container of chocolate syrup. And the fourth worm was put into a container of good, clean soil. At the conclusion of the sermon, the minister reported the following results. The first worm in alcohol, dead. The second worm in cigarette smoke, dead. The third worm in chocolate syrup, dead. The fourth worm in good, clean soil, alive. So the minister asked the congregation, what did you learn from this demonstration? Maxine, sitting in the back, quickly raised her hand and said, as long as you drink, smoke, and eat chocolate, you won't have worms. (laughs) There it is. See, we always hope when we prepare for this that you, that you hear what we're really trying to say up here. <laughs> and we're going into a series now. Um, we're going to begin, I think, we're going into the series. We're going to begin talking about the body of Christ. Um, Jesus wanted you to know that you're the body of Christ. Isn't that a strange thing? I mean, uh, when, you, when you think about it, I know you get used to it because we've heard that all of our life, but when you think about it, isn't it strange that he wanted you to know that you're his body? And, and what really does that mean? You know, we've had a lot of things happening this week. We've had some sick bodies, right? And when, you're, when your body's sick, you really pay attention to it, don't you? <laughs> some stuff you never paid attention before, all of a sudden you're really aware of it. Um, and when we see an amazing body, like an Olympian or something, we're amazed, right? Like what can be accomplished by when it's, when it's healthy, what God's created. Um, you know, when Jesus really uh, needed to scatter a crowd, you know, Jesus purposely scattered crowds sometimes. When he started getting a whole bunch of people following whose hearts weren't really in it, and that kind of thing. He would, he would scatter a crowd. Are you aware of that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, I want to start, um, the first scripture I want to go to is actually in John chapter 6, verse 60. And this is really, um, Jesus began to scatter a crowd. He was doing amazing things, and crowds began to gather up on him. And that was when he decided, this is a good time I should start talking about you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. He started talking about body things. And then in verse 60 there, it begins, Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? And when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? Isn't that interesting? He says, Does this offend you? 
that I say this? You know how weird that must have been for him to be telling them, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. Had to be very strange. Almost as strange as saying, you're my body. He doesn't say, you're like my body. The word of God literally says, you are his body. What do you think about that? So actually, I want to do this. Um, I hope this doesn't offend you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, I'm going to take a minute, and I want you to think for a minute. As we start the series, I don't know how many weeks we're going to be doing this, but I want you to think. When, when the Word of God tells you, and I think we're going to read some of those places today, if we go according to plan, um, that you are the body of Christ I want you to stop and think. You already have some ideas, some revelations about why he chose to reveal it that way, why he chose for you to understand yourself that way. And I'm, I'm going to be quiet in just a minute, and I'm going to give you just a minute to think to yourself, what does that mean? I mean, like, what are the implications of that? What do you know already that that is part of the truth of that you are, you are the body of Christ. Is that enough time? Did you think of things? Did you think, call out some things. What did you think of when you think of yourself as being the body of Christ? Anyone? Not our own? Okay. We're unified? Okay. Your hands belong to him. Did I hear, what was that? Love. Okay. In the next, anything else? I don't want to move on too quick. Did you get something? Say what? Subject to his will. Okay. Something over here. You got to say it again. Not a good idea to sin. Not a good idea to sin. (laughs) I think I like that one the best. But you know, if it's true that we're the body of Christ, then it suddenly becomes really critical that we understand why he chose to have it be that way. Right? And so for the next few weeks, we're really going to dig in to some of the implications and what the Word of God tells us um, about... Um, what that means for us. And I have a prayer in this. I do actually believe, in fact, I wouldn't be doing this unless I believe that he means for us to be transformed in ways. Not just like some new knowledge, some new information, but really transformed into the reason he thought it would be a good idea that after he finished his work in his body, in the flesh here, that we would become his body here. Huge implications that if we don't think rightly, if we don't live according to that truth, it, it has a real impact on what we're doing and, and the kingdom of God in this place. And by this place, I mean on earth, in our community, in your families, right? Okay. Before I jump into the scriptures, um, I want to um, just begin with some concepts here. Okay. Now, and I was at a hockey tournament last week, and I know I, I talk about hockey a lot. I guess it's just that season, you know? <laughs> it's not winter, it's hockey season. <laughs> um, and what happens, invariably what happens is, you know, especially in America, I don't know if it's the same in other countries, but when you're having conversations with people, they always want to know, um, it comes up, what do you do? It comes up, and as much as I try to conceal it, because I'm kind of an introvert and a private person, believe it or not, it comes up, and I say, well, I'm a pastor, and the next thing you know, um, a lot of the time, they begin to tell me how, oh, well, I believe in Jesus, and they begin to give me their explanation as to like why they don't attend church, or they're not a member of a church, and I'm standing there like... That was my deepest concern at this moment, but, uh, (laughs) you know, and it's funny because they'll tell you, I believe in Jesus, and um, I always try to do good things for people whenever I can, and the next thing you know, you're hearing confessions, but they want you to know why they're, they're not in church, and you all know me well enough to know 
that um, I avoid legalism and religion like it's the plague. Um, you, I know you know me that well. Uh, religion is the quench of the Spirit, okay? And you know I think that way. So when I'm in these conversations, I instantly think with the folks, I, I want to let them know that, you know, you are absolutely right. It's not necessary for your salvation and everything. I just want to encourage them like, you are right. But then I feel a little sadness in my heart, and this is really setting us up for the weeks to come. Do you know why I feel a sadness? They're missing. Actually, you took my words literally. That's awesome. If I, if I wasn't a little under the weather, I'd give you a high five. Um, but th- they're missing out, right? Can you be saved and not be, not be interacting, be participating in ways in the church? Absolutely you can. If you believe and profess with your mouth, you're saved. His, the spilling of his blood is that powerful. There is no, require, no behavioral requirements on you. He took the behavioral requirements, right? But it makes me sad because one thing the word of God makes clear is that he has a way and his kingdom moves and is powerful in his body. You understand that when he walked this earth and he was in the flesh, he was walking the ministry of the kingdom in his body. (laughs) And then when he was put, when he finished the work, when he was put to death and raised again, he said, now you're my body. In other words, what? The biggest implication ever. In other words, uh, his ministry is now you. That's the biggest implication of being his body, right? You are that ministry. Do you know that his ministry didn't change? If anything, it's increasing. It's becoming more powerful. It's moving forward. It didn't change at all. It is exactly the same ministry. And you are the body that is that ministry now. Amen? And so follow me for a minute. Um, And I promise we are going to look in the scripture. I know I'll be in all kinds of trouble if I don't read some scripture this morning so we will but um follow me for a minute um think of verses that say you are the temple okay or don't you know that you're the temple or verses that talk about you being the temple of the holy spirit okay you know that those are verses where he is talking to you individually right he what follows next is either instructions it can be like about about sex in the body, about holiness, about other things. And it's, it's the word of God to you as an individual who stands before the throne. You know you stand before the throne as an individual. Okay, now walk with me to step number two. You'll read verses that talk about um, that he is building a temple, a place for his spirit of living stones. Now we're beginning... We're beginning to see that very clearly in the word of God, there's a corporate, there's a community that comes together and becomes a place for the spirit. Yes? Okay, step, now, step three. Now think about this. You'll read verses that talk about the body of Christ. Right? And anytime you see those words, I hope I'm changing some of your Bible study forever now. Anytime you see those words, you'll find out it's always talking about the corporate, the gathering, the community gathering into a oneness, into a unity of the Spirit. Um, and what follows next are the passage that that occurs in is talking about the church when we're together. Right? So that's why my heart hurts in those conversations, right? There are things that are specifically for when we're together. In fact, I feel like I need to jump. Let me see if I can do this successfully. Yep. Can we do this different? Let's go to Matthew 18 and verse 18. Y'all know this verse. Most of you probably know this verse. Jesus speaking, he says, Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, we're going to keep reading, but why does he say that? You are the dominion holder, right? And all the way back in the beginning in Genesis, he gave you dominion. Do you know that was never taken away? 
not even in the fall. In fact, that's, that's the horrible problem. <laughs> we still hold dominion in the earth, and most of it's fallen. And so we're not using dominion rightly. We really make a mess of things. And those who come to faith in Jesus are filled with the Spirit. Dominion is restored rightly. You can wield your dominion rightly, right? So that's what that's talking about. Now, verse 19 goes on and says, Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Now think with me for a minute. Is he not there in the midst of you when you're all by yourself? <laughs> of course he is. He said, I'll never leave or forsake you. So what, why does Jesus say this? What does he want you to know? He wants you to know that in a very special way, the Spirit, the, the power of the kingdom, he's, he's in our midst in a, in a very powerful, in a very special way when we come together. Why? Because we are his body. Okay? Okay. I had to mix it up. I don't want it to get too easy. I had to mix it up at least once. Okay, so now I'm going to do the strangest thing. Um, we're going to go through um, a story of someone being saved. Um, and I know you know this story. This is Saul's story, Saul being saved and um, who becomes Paul. Um, and I believe you're going to see something that we haven't um, that maybe you haven't seen quite like this before, okay? But I've got to give you context. So if you want to start turning, we're going to begin in Acts 8, and mostly we're going to be in Acts 9. Now Saul is persecuting the church. He's completely directed against the church. He's dedicated his life. He's a Pharisee, okay? So he's, very, he's the epitome of religiousness, and he's doing all that he can to come against what? The body of Christ, right? And here in um, chapter 8, verse 1, and I just want you to see, this is the next statement after they stone Stephen for his faith. And it says, now Saul was consenting to his death. The New International Version, um, which we don't have to put up here, but literally says Saul approved of their killing him. That's the guy we're talking about, okay? And it's, it goes on, at, at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Okay, so disciples, this persecution is scattering disciples. And it says, And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, now listen to this guy. He made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Now, I can't skip verse 4. Um, it, it really doesn't go into what we're doing, but I just can't skip it. This is the, I literally have in my notes, ha ha, that's what I have here. Because <laughs> the next verse says, therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching. Do you get that? I mean, just, just give it a try. Try to slow us down. Try to stop us. Here's a guy who's killing them and dragging them off and putting them in prison, and, and comes the big ha-ha. Because he's doing this, the, the word of God is scattering everywhere. You have to love that. But that's just context, you see? And there's a reason I'm doing this. It put, the Lord put it on my heart that somebody is... Um, and this was days ago, that, that right now somebody's being touched as we move through this message. Because do you know that um, you can't be worse than this? If, if you've struggled, if you're here today and you've struggled for your life because you think there's something that just can't be saved, or that he's not calling you to be powerful and participating in his body not just a quiet person that sits in back or someone who doesn't really deserve to let him have your life um, you can let that go this is a guy who just 
um, ordered or approved the killing of Stephen. This is a guy who is scattering Jesus's church, and he's and he ends up being um, having this powerful calling on his life and writing half the Bible. Okay, it's you are not too far gone, whoever you are. <laughs> okay, go to chapter nine with me. Now, it's going to sound like we're just telling Paul's story, but I want to tell you something, or Saul. We're telling the story of a church and of his church, of Jesus' body, and you're going to see this as we go through very powerfully. Um, This story tells us very important things that we have to understand about us as the body of Christ, okay? So verse 1, it says, Then Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. Okay, so I'm just going to say it again. Whatever it is you think you've done that is too big for God to take care of, you can let it go this morning, okay? This is your day to let it go. So he goes to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that If he found any who were of the way, any who believe in Jesus and following after him, part of the body, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He wants to arrest people, okay? Verse 3, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Okay, now watch this. Just in case you've never seen this before, I want to show you the first bonus of your benefits package of being in the kingdom. Okay? It's right here. Do you understand that um, what Jesus just said, the implication of what he just said? Those who are against his church, those who thwart, persecute his church, he takes it personally. Okay, number one, what does it mean that you are the body of Christ? Well, for one thing, it means that you've become one with him. You're him. So when someone comes against you, he takes it personally. He says, why are you coming against me? I mean, think how ridiculous that is. If you don't understand it that, that way, what is Jesus talking about there? I mean, he's, he has died, been resurrected, and at this point, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father in the throne where all authority comes from. He's not, he's not there. And yet, the persecutions, he says, why are you persecuting me? That's a winning lottery ticket. <laughs> okay, you can be, yes, you can be saved and you can be off by your off by yourself and not not engaged not rubbing shoulders not participating in what the spirit is doing in his church but when you're in his church and that's what's being thwarted he takes it personally he says you're you're coming against my body verse 5 says and he said who are you lord now gather this why is Paul persecuting. Why, why is he in this place where he's, he's so dark, he's so against Jesus? He's religious. And you see it right here. He says, uh, who are you, Lord? He doesn't know him. <laughs> right, he doesn't know him. If, you know, if you asked Paul, do you believe in Jesus, what would he say? So, of course I do. He'd seen He'd seen his ministry. He'd heard some of his teaching. He'd heard of what Jesus had done. Probably, we don't see it recorded specifically, but probably witnessed what he'd done. Now he's witnessing what he's doing through the church. And he would say, I I believe in Jesus. I know Jesus. But if he said, do you know him? He'd say, no, I, I don't know him personally. You do see there's a big difference you're, you know that you, you run into people all the time who absolutely believe in Jesus, but do they know him? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now I have to tell you, when I was studying this week, 
Um, this is really peculiar because some translations, some versions literally do not even have um, that phrase in there. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. I went and looked the NIV. It's like, it's absent. <laughs> it's not even there. Um, but it is in the original text. I went and verified it. It went, sent me, you know, searching through stuff. Um, and, and I want to show you something here. This, we're really going to begin to look at a progression. This morning, just to start this series, we're looking at being out of the body and coming into the body. Okay, and it's going to reveal things about being a part of the body of Christ. But do you know what that means? I, I really didn't, just to be humble and honest, to kick against the goads. How many of you do know what that expression means? Okay, good, good. You, you're ahead of where I was. Um, and first of all, isn't it peculiar that um, Jesus was using an expression of their time? almost like a slang expression. I don't know, you may know of one, but I tried to think of some other place in the scriptures where he used like a common expression. And I think that this is the only place. And so a goad is like, just for those of you who don't know, maybe you all know, but it, it's like a, basically a sharp stick or a rod with a point on it. And if you have an ox that's plowing, you would goad, in other words, you would poke it into the flesh in order to, to get it going in the direction you're trying to get it to go, right? You 4-H people, you probably all know that, right? <laughs> okay. So in other words, what is this telling us? Do you realize that, um, so it looks very sudden. I'll say it is sudden. I mean, he's going down a road and the light shines, the voice of God comes, that, that's pretty sudden. I'll, I'll give, I mean, um, okay, I'll grant that, but... This expression shows that um, God has been working in his life. He says you've, you're kicking against the goads. So, so Paul's been resisting. He's like an ox that kicks against the, the prick or the prod of God. So if you're here this morning and you've been, and, and that's you, I'm just going to keep throwing this in there, um, you know if it's you. <laughs> and you've been resisting the push of God. You can, you can stop that today. Amen. This can be your day. Okay, verse 6. Okay, now, now it starts to get to what I'm really excited about. Um, so, so, he, uh, <laughs> so he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Verse 7, And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. So you know what? That might just be a wake-up call. For somebody, if you're being goaded <laughs> and you know it, it would be a great day to go ahead and go in the direction the Lord's tugging you today. It would be a great day for that because it's, it's really not worth it to have to be struck blind and everything. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but, but do you know what? There is a truth here about the nature of God. We often um, have the theological question, um, does God use illness or trouble or hardship in order to move us where we need to be? Yes, yes, he does. We just read it. <laughs> he sure does. I did not just say that every trial and hardship is God trying to move you in a way. This is a fallen world. Okay, but does he use that? Yes, yes, he does. Now, here it is. Enter this side of the stage comes the body of Christ, okay? Verse 10, um, and, and I'm just going to say it explicitly. Notice that this is the body of Christ. And I have to tell you, this week, um, so many things, you've heard many of them in the announcements, people in the hospital and, and um, people being resurrected. You know, when you said we had a resurrection this week, I really thought you were talking about Jim and Chuck, and then he said the plow truck. <laughs> <laughs> we had some resurrections this week. 
people who died in Christ. <laughs> um, and I lost my train of thought. Um, okay, so I saw, um, I'm just going to put it out there honest. I saw the best and the worst of the body of Christ all in one week. I saw the most amazing people. Um, and I'm so tempted to point them out, but I'm not going to do that. The most amazing people loving like Jesus. I'm sitting in a room and I'm just seeing Jesus on people in ways that I, that's, I can't love that way. I'm watching, like you watch an Olympian going, wow, look at the love of Jesus <laughs> on that person. And it, it's, it's in the strange way. I saw it multiple times on different people, and I believe God wanted me to be awake and aware and see this. And it was in the most amazing ways. It was, it was strength gifts, administration, handling things in an embrace of gentleness. And I'm like, that's amazing. That is God. And that's what we're about to read here, okay? And then... And uh, we'll just point out some things that I think is going to be a great start for where I believe God's taking us into new understandings of being his body. So verse 10 says, Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, a man who is part of the body of Christ, okay? And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. You notice God always starts with the name? Be awake, to hearing God say your name. And he said to him, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive sight. Now, observe what you just read. Saul gets struck blind because God loves him enough to make him completely miserable. Right? That is what happened. And he sends Saul to Judas' house, who's in prayer and sees a vision of Ananias. Ananias has a vision that he's supposed to go to Judas' house so he can lay hands and pray for him. Do you see this swirl of the activity of God? You see, you see the body of Christ. Could Jesus not just have accomplished all of it right there on the road? Yeah. <laughs> or accomplished all of it with Judas? Or Ananias? But see, do you know that God not only has a will, but he has a way? Do you know that? He has a way. You know, I've learned... Um, Early on, um, throughout my life, and it, it kind of, um, um, God does it in, in different, um, what do I want to say, frequency or power at different points in my life, because he gets to choose how our spiritual gifts operate, which is probably part of where we're going in this series. We're going to talk about some of those things, but I've had a healing gift at points in my life, and early on, I can remember where um, I would pray for people, and if they didn't get healed, I would easily become discouraged. And I would think, Lord, did you not ask me to lay hands and pray for that person? And I'm like, oh, like what? And I've noticed it started to have this impact on me where um, one option when that happens is we can become timid in prayer. And this doesn't have to be healing. It can be whatever your spiritual gifts are. Um, we can become timid. All of a sudden, we can begin to edit and say, well, now I'm not going with authority and laying hands and saying, be healed. Lord, we, we ask you, know, come now and be healed. But we're praying timidly. Like, well, you know, just maybe this one time. If, and that's not as well, right? Or we begin to edit and we begin to rewrite the will of heaven. We begin to, we begin to say things like, is it the will of heaven that people are healed? Of course it is. <laughs> sickness doesn't align with the will of heaven. But does he have a way? <laughs> is it in his timing? Um, so the other thing we can do is recognize that, and this is um, 
really, I'm going to make it sound like I have all of this maturity. I still struggle with it. But I get this now, that what's the truth? The truth is he loves me enough that he not only wants me to be someone who who um, wants his will, who operates towards his will, but someone who actually understands his way. Do you know that? How many of you have been discouraged in your spiritual gifts? (laughs) Uh, I'm not laughing at you. Just for some of you, your hands went up so fast it was... Don't be. Let that be a love note to you. That he loves you so much that he doesn't just want you to execute his will like a robot, but he is inviting you to be someone who knows him so well that you understand his way. What's your way? So any more now when I'm when I'm praying or, or whatever it is and I'm feeling discouraged in it, I just, I, not always, but I try to very quickly stop and, and say, what are you doing? What's your way? What's your way? What am I missing? That's why Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father do. I only say what I hear the Father say. There's, there's a way in it. Okay, verse 13 it says, then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. Did I skip? Oh, okay, good. I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Now what's going on there? Yeah, he's seeing it. He's seeing it with his own eyes. He's, he's not really seeing it in the spirit. And look, this is, this is a spirit-filled man. So it, the, these kinds of parts of these stories really encourage me because I, I get it wrong most of the time. And thank God that his mercy, his mercy, his spirit just keeps filling me. He's ever teaching me his way. Because what, what did the song say? Because he doesn't like heaven without you. He's crazy about you like that. And even every time you get it wrong, and here's Ananias going, no, I don't think I want to go to that guy. It's like a repeat of the prophet Jonah going on here, okay? And he has every reason to be scared, right? Of course he doesn't want to go to that guy. This guy was approving um, them being put to death, right? And you know that he is going to, he, I've noticed that it's his favorite pastime. He loves calling you to the most unlovely one, the one who's probably hated you the best, the one who's the most dangerous, the one who stands to do the most harm to your family, tends to be uncanny. He wants you to go and minister to that person. And in verse 15 it says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So what really matters? I know you all know this. We've covered this. Um, What really matters? What God speaks about him. It doesn't matter. If you're here this morning and you're worried about what you've done in the past, you're worried about something God's not worried about. He doesn't want you being worried about um, who you are in your past. He wants you to be completely consumed with who he is. What matters is who he is and what he says about you. Have you ever taken time to ask God to give you a picture of how he sees you? Do you know he sees you perfect? How many of you see yourself as perfect? Let's see a show of hands. Do you know that, I mean, in some sense, you should because he says you are. I know he's working on you and you're, you're a total mess, almost as messy as I am. I get it. But, but he says that the blood was completely effective. When you stand before the throne, you stand before the throne perfect. Perfect for all who put their faith in him. 
If you didn't put your faith in him, okay, you're in trouble. <laughs> but it's easy to take care of that. You see, it's not about what Ananias is doing. <laughs> it's about what God's doing. So verse 17, And then Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. I want to focus on the fact that it says, then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Do you see God's, God's real plan is to save and then draw into his body. Why? Because he wants, he loves people that much. Of course he wants you to be saved. He, he wants to bring you from death to life. He wants to bring people that you're going to encounter before this day is over from death to life. But he also wants them to participate in the benefits package. <laughs> he wants them to be brought into the fellowship, into the body of Christ. Why? Because it's his way. The Spirit of God moves in this place. Look around this room and you're looking at God's way of getting his blessing to you. Did you hear that? The, the people sitting here right around you are his way of getting his blessing to you. I know he's going to encounter you personally all by yourself, but so often in the word of God makes it clear that his true mode, his true way, his true plan, because his plan was always that we would be the body of Christ, is that the spirit of God is going to move among you, for you. It's probably even, <laughs> I'm going to put it out there, it's probably even that person that you're at odds with right now. Do you know how many times you read in the scriptures where um, you want to know one of God's ways? You read where the very one that they're at odds with or speak against or grumble against or wrong is the one that they have to go back to to get God's blessing. It's uncanny how many times you read it. We just um, went over one a few weeks ago where um, they're being bit by serpents. And so what? And because they're grumbling against Moses, right? And so they're being bit. They're being poisoned by serpents. God gives Moses um, the revelation that he needs to make an image of the curse being lifted, a serpent on a pole. And when he lifts that pole, they have to go to him. <laughs> the one they grumbled against and complained about. And you, you just see that pattern over and over. And that's not in my notes, so I'm going to move on. <laughs> and then verse 20, immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he's the Son of God. There's something here I want to show you. I'm looking for it. Okay, actually, let's just keep reading. Okay, verse 21, and we'll get ready to wrap. says, Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem? And he has come here for that purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? Isn't it that guy? And, it's, and in verse 22, it says, But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now listen, that word confounded means to throw into disorder. I see, why is God's way so important? Why is it not just his will, but his way is important? The truth is, his way is what's, is, 
the only thing that's actually going to bring about his full will. Okay? He's not all about the most expedient, most efficient way of getting things done. Have you noticed that in your life? <laughs> I heard somebody this morning talking about timing. Was that you? <laughs> yeah, he's not all about efficiency. He's about a way because he is going to have his will being done. You know, part of his will here was that the, the, um, the Jewish effort to persecute the church was going to be confounded. Part of his way was that um, a really powerful religious scholarly guy like Saul was not going to get away with being saved in Jesus and still be like this super independent guy who, didn't, who wasn't brought into the fellowship of believers. His way is, as, is every bit as important as his will. Amen? Okay, and this, this is the last thing I'll read. I think I should never say that, huh? <laughs> Verse 23 says, Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Now listen to this. They're plotting to kill um, their, their guy who's turned. <laughs> Verse 24, But their plot became known to Saul, and they, they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. Can you imagine what you just read? In other words, the very ones that yesterday, or, you know, days, actually days ago, he was trying to kill are now the ones that are, that are his protectors. He's been brought into a fellowship of people where, where the love of God, the power of God, the provision, the ability is his now. That's the lottery ticket. I'm going to show you one more and show you why I'm doing this. Well, see, it's a good thing I didn't promise. Um, verse 26 says, And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. You see, hear those words, but Barnabas. You see, the body of Christ, we tend to have crowd reactions to things. And, and um, in this world, fear and doubt and all kinds of things without each other, without all of us together, it can overtake really easily. And that's, that's happening here. They're not seeing one of the most powerful things God's doing in their midst, but Barnabas. See, before we're done, I'm sure we're going to be studying, um, and you're all familiar with it, we're, we're the body of Christ, but individual members. Thank God for individual Barnabas. Our Paul was really up a creek, at least at this moment. You see, the Spirit of God in Barnabas, the role that he was playing. And so, and so I ask you, what does it mean if you, as a part of this body, are atrophying in participation in the Spirit in your gifts? It's not good. I like that. It's not good? <laughs> it's not good. We're missing a but Barnabas. I tend to think there's a word of knowledge that I need right now. Which one of you is not giving it to me? <laughs> I'm, I'm being, it's funny, but I'm being serious. Um, we have sick among us. We have, you know, you know I, could, I could go on. That's not a guilt trip. <laughs> Just I hope, I hope you all know me well enough to know that's not a guilt trip, but I hope that it makes you hungry. In the realization, you know, we live in a culture, in a Christian culture um, anymore, at least in my region of this little planet, where we have entire churches, entire communities of Christians where if you went around and you polled and you said, um, what's your ministry? Or um, what are some of the gifts? Now, now, you'll find out for me, I believe you have all of the gifts, right? Because you have 
the Holy Spirit, right? And he gets to do whatever he wants. But he also wants you to know um, something about your identity. I do believe that, that it's um, normal modes, things that are unique to you where he manifests spiritual gifts. And we live in a community where you could go and say, um, tell me about your ministry. Tell me about how the Spirit is with you. Um, what does he love to do with you? What are your gifts? And you'll get deer in headlight from people. They have no idea. They've not even put a great deal of thought into it. And if this is coming as a convicting thing, there's no condemnation in Christ. If, if you're hearing, if you're going, oh my gosh, that's me. And I have a feeling it is a lot in this place because that's our culture. Um, I just want you to take heart. He, he just wants you to see it. He loves you. He's nuts about you. And the reason you're hearing this this morning is because he wants you to become that member of the body that, that is the outworking of the spirit for the rest of us. Because if you're not, we're, first of all, you're missing the love. You're missing the participation. It's just like that conversation I have with people where they're saved, but they don't believe that there's, that there's any big deal to go to church. And where I have to go, well, you're right, except for the fact that, I think you said, except for the fact that you're missing out on everything. And that can be true even if you're in the church. You can be sitting here missing out on everything. And he loves you far too much to leave you alone. He, in my prayer times this week, he just riddled me um, about the fact that I, I feel like he's sharing with me that we, we are doing that to some extent. We have folks that are, that are sitting here and missing out on everything. And I understand that, that healing is involved, okay? That um, it's not because you don't want it. It's not because there's a deficiency in your love for Jesus and there's certainly no deficiency in his love for you. It's, it's, merely, it's merely accepting an invitation, realizing that you have a worthiness. Do you know that he made you worthy? He made you blameless. He knit you in your mother's womb with plans, plans of fulfillment and power in the Spirit. Not because he needs you to do anything. Not because he's gonna, he loves you more, but because he wants you to have all of that joy that these guys are having, like you're reading in this story. Being a part of the most spectacular things, the only things that are worthwhile, that, that make any sense, that are worth your time whatsoever. He loves you like that. And he loved, and, and I need you to see this morning, he wants you to see this morning, that there's nothing in your past or your present or anything that is too big for him, for his blood to cover. You just read about Saul. And unless you've been going around slaughtering Christians on a daily basis, he's got you beat. Barnabas.